What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Pinnacle Performance Podcast. My name is Connor Harris. Today, I have my buddy Tyler Rathke. Uh, he is someone I've been talking to a lot lately. Uh, we've been to several webinars together. We've just been uh, chatting a lot more ever since this coronavirus thing started. And I'm pleased and happy to announce he's here taking the time out of his day to come chat with me today. He is the uh, head track and field coach and also the head strength coach over at William Christian High School in Independence, Missouri. So he he is a just wealth of knowledge when it comes to so many things. So Tyler, thank you so much for being here today. Absolutely, Connor. Thank you for having me on and looking forward to diving into some uh, deep rabbit holes today. Oh yeah, that's what it's all about. So something that I admire that you do is that you are really open-minded and you really try to incorporate as many different things from as many different realms, practices, methodologies as you can. And, and you're clearly a very intelligent guy. So uh, I'm really happy that you're here because I'm curious, how do you kind of morph all of these things together? And where did you even start? Like what, where did you start with your, your knowledge base and how did you grow to, grow to where you are now? Sure. So uh, just to give a little bit of background, and, and I, I kind of, when I listen to podcasts, sometimes I skip over the background, but I think it's somewhat <laughs> yeah. important. Uh, so I'm an exercise science major, and I just plan on coaching. And uh, at one point, I uh, interned at the University of North Texas with uh, Frank Wintrick, who's now the head strength coach at UCLA. So that was a really good fundamental base for kind of movement efficiency and getting an opportunity to coach at a mid-major uh, football uh, over the summer of my junior year in college. And so anyway, I uh, went on and did college coach a, a year at a community college in Kansas, uh, kind of in the same community college league that I uh, competed in myself. And then I uh, got the opportunity to be a head coach and get into strength coach, uh, doing some strength coach work at this high school uh, here in outside of Kansas City. Missouri and so kind of paired two of my loves together track and field and then weight room so I never felt like I was teaching like in terms of science or math sitting at a, at a table and and handing out worksheets it was it was very hands-on and and got to work with a lot of different populations I have some adaptive PE classes that I teach now and I also teach a biomechanics class which I helped uh, set up for students interested in physical therapy and athletic training and other other opportunities as well uh, so really um, through through working with a bunch of different people and, and kind of the population of student that I see on a day-to-day -day basis, I had to find additional ways to impact my students. And so the very first thing, I guess, that kind of got me down this path was uh, reflexive performance reset. It was about three years ago, I went to my first level one. And since um, I've been through level one three times and level two twice. And part of that's just because I hosted it. But uh, having Chris Corfus here in town and, and, and going to dinner with him and, and seeing him speak multiple times and starting to put pieces together, I feel like I'm a pretty practical thinker. And so sometimes I look past, you know, why it works and just quickly get to how does it work and then how can I apply it and then just trial and error as much as possible and feel like if it works, I want to stay with it. And if it doesn't, then I just move on, you know, and so uh, for me, we talked about this before, but I always try to find things that are quick for kids to do or myself. Uh, they're free. They don't cost anything and they're easy. They don't take a lot of skill to perform. And so this is kind of just taking me down uh, a long journey and, and uh, into a bunch of different systems that I feel like I do a good job right now of stacking on top of each other in order to really affect performance, uh, both pre and post work, uh, but definitely really, really happy with the journey I've gone on so far. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. It's a, 
it's great to kind of start with one and then branch out to other things. And obviously it's good to be competent and proficient in a certain methodology or a certain, um, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, three letter uh, methodology that are so popular these days. Um, but ultimately I think it can be overwhelming to kind of dip your toes in so many different pools. Uh, that's why it, I think it's important to establish a foundation of the basics because all these things about like RPR, DNS, PRI, they don't, they're not going to click with you unless you have a very foundational knowledge of, of the basic principles. But with that being said, which I feel like a lot of people who listen to this podcast do have that, I think it's important to recognize that um, when you go through all these, all these different uh, methodologies, because I, I never know what to call them, right? So uh, it, it's important because the ultimate goal is to reduce the amount of time you're doing with certain things. Like, for example, you were telling me the other day about how you don't have to stretch your kids. You don't have to spend as much time on warmups because those different principles you use with RPR allow you and TMR, TMR uh, total motion release, those allow you to reduce the amount of time you have to spend um, warming these kids up. So the range of motion is better. So you just go right into your actual lift, the thing that really ultimately matters. So it's great to be well diverse in these different methodologies because the ultimate goal is to improve performance. And if you're not getting results out of these things, then forget it, move on, find someone else that does. Absolutely. So I kind of refer to them as systems. Systems, and that's the word. I think it's important to <laughs> take, take something from a system that you can use. I think too many people might get caught up, and I understand from a cost standpoint, they want to get married to that system, and they want to fully invest every aspect of that system. Well, if, if that system doesn't fit with what you do 100%, they're not copy and paste systems, right? So yeah, with RPR system, love it, use, use a lot of it. It's probably my most foundational piece with, with total motion release. And we can break these down a little bit more in a second. Definitely really, really powerful system uh, with functional range conditioning. Everything is a three letter, like you said. Yeah. It, I took a piece of that and applied it to my system. And so anytime I go to a clinic or I go into a situation where I'm learning a new system, I'm looking for something I can take out and possibly replace something that I already use in order for more efficiency, like you said, because the ultimate goal at the end of the day is performance and performance has to do with health as well. And so if I'm not healthy and my athletes aren't healthy, uh, we're not going to reach our goals. So those two concepts in mind, how can I reduce injury and how can I increase performance um, in a measurable standpoint has, has been the, the chase of all these different systems. Mm -hmm. Well said. So what is TMR, total motion release? I had personally no idea what it was until we had this kind of coaching clinic where we had a bunch of coaches on Zoom and you kind of introduced me to it. And it, it, frankly, it was impressive. Yeah. So total motion release was something I learned uh, at a clinic. Um, I, I always, sometimes at clinics, people talk so fast and they're smarter than yeah. you. So they're just ripping off stuff. And I think it's really important in a clinic, you're usually going to get the notes. And so what I try to do is I try to not write down what's on the screen, but write down like every word that they say as much as possible that's not on the screen that I can absorb and go back and research later. And I know you personally do a great job of investing and in, in investigating in what uh, connects why these things mm -hmm. work. Um, but so I, I will write down systems or names if, if they write down a book or if they write down a reference, I write it down and I go backtrack it. So after the clinic, I go home and look at that stuff. So total motion release, I had the name Tom Delonzo Baker written down from a Dan Fichter talk. And so I looked it up 
and I start looking through these YouTube videos and Dan had Dan Fichter had showed it as a part of his warm up. And so then I just started diving into it and practicing it um, and connecting that warm up presentation he had with the videos of the TMR system. So uh, Tom Delonzo Baker is a physical therapist in North Carolina and he developed a system um, and basically total motion release is, an, is a way to use the brain, uh, which is seeking balance um, to uh, remove and uh, respond to the imbalances that are found in the body um, through no hands-on movement. We've, we've tried it and I know you might have something on your website from a, an example demonstration that we did um, last mm -hmm. week, but essentially I'm going to um, test ranges of motion. Uh, this is all, let's say just me doing it. I'm going to test right and left shoulder flexion. I'm going to see which one's better. Uh, there's a difference typically in ranges of motion and I'm going to affect that range of motion uh, by going as far as I can to the end range and using some uh, bouncing or vibration, which the brain and body tend to like. And then I'm going to use that good side to then affect and open up the brain's perception of the less range of motion side. And, and eventually through the quick uh, reset of our brain's understanding of the bad side, we can open up the range of motion on, on the other side. So mm -hmm. I guess the best, that was really tough way without showing to describe it, but TMR is taking uh, contralateral sides and we're able to affect ranges of motion on the opposite side that may have an imbalance through simple end range mechanic work that we can quickly impact that side. So that works all the way down the chain. Um, I have my key things that I use for like in my own personal running and with my track team, you know, we're talking sprinters and runners. Uh, so we, we go shoulder flexion, trunk rotation, hip flexion, and hip extension. That's our main mm -hmm. ones right now. And then we have some ankle work that we've applied through the concepts of total motion release, whether it's a straight application or not. I've been able to take the ideology behind that and apply it elsewhere um, as well. So uh, as best as I could explain, that's basically what total motion release is. Yeah, you nailed it. And it really does work. Like I know we can't do a live visual demonstration, but I've done it twice with you now. And it really does open up a range of motion to a significant degree. I remember I did my shoulder flexion. My left was better than my right, which is normal according to the principles that I also uh, tend to subscribe to and believe in. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. So I went into left shoulder flexion, did the in range of motion thing. And then my right shoulder flexion, boom, so much better. And right now I have a little bit of the right shoulder thing going on from sitting on my butt too long because of these circumstances. And that was gone too. Um, so like, that's all fine and dandy. It's great. But how long does this stuff stick for? How long do these adaptations last? Is it going to last for a couple minutes or a game or a day? What happens? Absolutely. So I think that's on it on an individual basis. And that's the toughest part about neural work or, or stuff that is, is based on brain functioning is that it's going to be dependent on athlete or person that's using the system. And so there's no set in stone answer. And that's the toughest thing I think in our industry is like the, it depends answer, but I think right. for anything that's good, it probably does depend. Um, so yeah, I, I think of it in terms of is is there another sympathetic type response the body goes through or is there a situation through loading that possibly would shut that brain back into that sympathetic state and then shift back into that protected range of motion? That's how I think about it. I haven't done enough testing. Like, I, like through these conversations, I think it's going to be fascinating to use some of my students in my biomechanics class to actually test long-term effects. Um, but I heard it said really well the other day, like, 
we train to be stronger over the course of time, right? And, and, and it takes time, right? So uh, brain work, we can't expect it just because we do it once to last forever. That We don't apply that principle anywhere else. And so we've talked about this before too, but my philosophy of quick and easy and free is going to be something that this system provides. And so we talked about going into a bench press and you have that uneven imbalance from the brain standpoint, whether it's a range of motion or even a strength thing, which we can talk more about. I know we've visited about it before, but if I step into that bench press or that bilateral pressing position, I've got an imbalance. I'm strengthening that imbalance and that's very dangerous. And so for us in a total motion release concept, we're going to be able to impact that range of motion before every set without very much time at all uh, in order to prepare, you know, in most team training settings, like I'm in, I have a spotter for most core exercises um, and, or I have a, a rest period in between exercises. And so why can't I use that 15 seconds of some sort of active, if you want to consider it active recovery, why not, why not use something that's going to open up range of motion and we don't even have to test how long does this last in terms of we just know if we know what we need to attack and do before every time, we'll just do it. And it'll just, it'll prepare us for the exercise that's coming up. So it can also be used as a potentiation um, in order to open up ranges of motion. Yeah. And that makes sense. I think what you hit about the asymmetries is so important to consider because a lot of times we'll put someone in a bilateral uh, static stance squat. And then if they have so many asymmetries going on, then you're just driving that asymmetry home because they're going to, you know, shift into the hip they feel more comfortable in, or, you know, they're going to have a compensatory strategy that they're used to doing because ultimately the brain is just seeking stability. It doesn't care necessarily how you do something as long as it does the task it needs to because that squat is just a threat so if you can get past that threat in an effective way um may might not necessarily be biomechanically efficient but if you do it then that's what's important for your brain at that moment in time so ultimately the brain just is seeking stability i think the best sort of systems uh respect that the, the fact that the brain is this central governor that is um, kind of controlling what's going on through our body and what ranges of motion we have, which ones we don't have, because ultimately it's just a stability thing. We're trying to choose the path of least resistance, the path uh, that's going to provide us with the most movement options given the limitations placed on the system already. And I love that that system respects that because if it didn't, then I don't know how far we'd get with it, right? Um, so that's really cool. So given this TMR release technique and given all these other systems, let's take uh, RPR because most people are familiar with that. How are you going to integrate RPR and TMR together? For sure. Uh, so we, we can look at it from a couple different ways here. In, in a team setting, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to use total motion release to open up ranges of motion. Then we're going to go through controlled articular rotations, which is an FRC concept, mm -hmm. which is going to provide a, a full movement of the joint. And then we're going to go to our level one activations from RPR to turn the light switches on for muscles. So we use them to potentiate or set up the next activity. Um, when we use RPR, uh, we also progress and structure our warm-up in such a way that uh, an activation of a muscle group area is going to then 
proceed with a movement pattern that is using that as the primary mover. Mm -hmm. And so everything from that standpoint is woven in and I, that's how I view TMR paired with cars. And then I use RPR as we have, even when we had just RPR. And so the things that we save time on as a track team, or as I save time on in my own personal <laughs> running is we don't have to do things like hurdle mobility for 20 minutes with 80 kids waiting in line to stand over 10 hurdles, or we don't have to get down quadruped style and do a hip mobility series uh, because we're able to affect these ranges that we desire through much simpler means. And the other thing that's really cool about any of the systems that I've mentioned in terms of uh, kids being able to buy in is there is a physical change that they see and feel immediately. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about catching the tension of a 14 to 15 year old kid on your track team or in your introduction to strength training class, just, just blow his mind with some systems or some, or some things that you know that the brain can do to empower change immediately. And you've got that kid bought in and then you can start to apply some things, right? Like if we just start talking about our system of training and we trained this guy and I've had, I've had four state champions here, our kids don't know that and they don't <laughs> care. But if I can show them that I can take their squat down two more inches below parallel and they can never get below parallel just by affecting eyes and jaw positioning uh, in a squat or doing a simple warm up. Uh, through RPR or, or TMR right before we go, that's pretty impactful, especially when, you know, people have yelled at them their whole life, get lower or do this or do that. And there's literally a limitation in their body somewhere on a lot of kids. There's a compensation somewhere they've developed. And I feel like that's my goal is to remove those and, and really get people to move better and perform better. And I just, like I said, it's very powerful to a kid to be able to see an, an impact change almost immediately uh, through using the brain um, and connecting it to the body. Absolutely. So in essence, you use TMR to open up the range of motion. Then you use FRC and RPR to lock it in so it's an active, controllable range of motion. And then you further reinforce that within the weight room. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, again, track team and weight rooms, different slightly in terms of progression just because of the main mm -hmm. function but i think uh the theme of the day matches more so what we do so mm -hmm. in the weight room we're going to spend more time uh doing total motion release concepts or even activations through rpr if we're on a more of a lower body theme day we might hit that if we're going to bilateral press something i absolutely know we're going to hit shoulder flexion um so it's just matching the demands to uh, the system or the piece of it that you know that can apply to that day. And again, that's an efficiency thing. Like I don't necessarily need to go through all of my wake ups in order to be able to front squat or mm. whatever the case may be. Um, so we just try to be efficient. Most of my strength classes are 35 minutes, um, kind of from a feed the cats philosophy. I think it is important to be efficient and get kids in and out for a practice. I think they enjoy it more when they know, like, let's get the work done and we get out. Um, so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's basically what we do. I can talk a little bit more about, too, like uh, jaws, jaw and eye movement. I movements. was just going to ask you yeah, about okay. that because you mentioned that, and I was like, ooh, that's interesting. So what's up with that? Yeah, so, yeah, so weight room, um, after, again, a Dan Fichter presentation, uh, that got me thinking and watching him and then applying it. 
so this has been since February at a, at a track and football consortium. Uh, what I do on a bilateral squatting movement, we do some funky stuff, man. And, and you've probably seen some of it, but uh, to potentiate our brain activity prior to a squat, which is a bilateral movement, and we can test and find that the brain typically doesn't like bilateral movements and they'll shut off. It's a natural cross crawl loving thing. So like before we bilateral squat, my kids are cross crawl pattern marching in place mm -hmm. because I've shown them through a simple muscle test that it does shut off. Yeah. And so I say, think about if your brain is either shut off, if you want to call it that, or if it's slightly relaxed or it's calm and we want it to be active. Look at this kid. So they're like fired up about that. So you'll come in my way room. Kids will be marching prior in that squatting position. They'll be marching. Or on a bilateral pressing day, we'll go into archer pose, which again, I still haven't been able to figure out why archer pose works for the same thing through the brain, other than like a uh, innate patterning from back when we were hunters and gatherers. Um, so we'll do That'll that on be something. That's cool. That bilateral <laughs> pressing, because we know, again, if I do that right before as a potentiation, I jump into the rack and I'm ready to go. Um, but I've also, through Dan's things, been able to find that eye movements, not head movements, eye movements and particular jaw positioning or jaw contractions, if you will, can apply and benefit athletes. And so right now I'm on the preliminary side of that, both from anecdotal kind of self-research and both my own uh, research behind it, but I'll, I'll just explain what we did and how it worked. And, and it, it's a form of self-empowerment for the athlete. And that's how I kind of set it up. So I show them the different options for eye tests. We try to determine a dominant eye and then use that for training. So once I find the dominant thing, I think about using that for performance. And when I find the weakness, uh, let's say there's a weak eye that's significant, I, wanna, I want to train that or use that, um, use that in, in some sort of training in terms of fixing it. But I want to, if I want to perform while like I'm stepping into a squat situation or an overhead press, I need to be using the powerful dominant side. So we'll, we'll start with the basic identification of what's my dominant eye. We'll look for through muscle tests. Uh, we'll look for other possible eye movements instead of like up, down, right, left, we'll go up, right, up left, down left, yes. down right. Yeah. We'll look for, there's about maybe eight positions of the eyes that we feel like you could use. Uh, and I think of it in terms of like opening something up or increasing power or act activation type thought. That's my thought. Um, and we do the same thing with the jaw. So eight eye movements that we identify and then jaw movement. I have several tongue positions. So I'll go tongue to the roof of my mouth, tongue to the mm -hmm. right cheek, of my mouth, tongue to the left cheek of my mouth. The weirdest one is tongue stuck as far out as you can. And then the last one is biting down onto something. So I usually fold a note card in half and give it to a kid if they're a jaw bite down kid. And so the way we test those is through just a range of motion typically. So I'll say squat and stick your tongue out. And they, they, they're self-testing a kind of a pre-test. How do I feel post-test? How do I feel? And they're looking for increased range or increased smoothness through those ranges. Um, and so we test all those jaw things out. We test all the eyes, what you'll find in a high school weight room mixed with tuba players and uh, scholar bowl and football starting quarterback, you'll find that some kids will take it serious and buy in some kids won't. But again, quick, free, 
easy. If they don't use it, they don't use it, right? They're already not. And so if it's not impacting them immediately and they don't see it, then there's no harm, no foul. We just move on. Um, but really what I find is it's cool because then you start to see kids uh, self-empowerment. They're going to choose to have a note card. They're going to choose to shove their eyes to the right. And as you're moving around, you're watching them. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's really cool um, mm -hmm. to see kids because the systems are so easy. The, the changes are so immediate. You can start to impact just through little things like that. Um, and I think that's one of the great, great things or realizations through watching presenters, you look from a track and field standpoint at the state hundred meter final, uh, let's say on the boys side, someone in Missouri is going to run 10, four, zero, someone's going to run 10, four, one, and there's going to be third place is 10 50. And the dude in, in fourth is 10.51. Those are minute, tiny differences. How can I impact the performance in that race or the performance training to lead up to that race? That's going to give me, a hundredth of a second difference in result and that's what i'm searching for is is the difference in really good and elite or the difference between first and second place or seventh and eighth yeah. and so um we, we we do eye positions uh jaw position and then i give them three options in a bilateral squat stance and this is going to sound weird but we go you're either going to bilateral feet even or we'll give you a slightly, I would say about two to three inches staggered right forward or staggered left forward. And again, that's empowered by student athlete of a choice. And it's, it's really weird to try on a large group of people because you'll see half of them, you know, out of 30, five will like the right stagger, five will like the left and everybody else will like the regular, but I've found, and when I say like, they like the amount of range of motion that they gain through through that additional or change in stance. And so I think about those are things the brain likes. Why? I, I can't tell you right now why now. Do I have the desire to find that maybe in my journey? You know, I'm still young. I have lots of time to keep looking into things. Yes. But right now it's an immediate impact that I can see, the kids can feel, and we, we know is making a difference in the way we train. So we're going to keep doing it. Uh, because it is so easy, it doesn't take talent, and it's cheap and free. Yeah, and that's that's fascinating. I have a couple of thoughts and also a question. On the, I fully agree with the bilateral squat thing. Fully agree, and I think my hypothesis is that human beings are naturally alternating creatures, right? Like when we step, when we walk, our rib cage should move. We should rotate our trunks towards the side that we're stepping with. When we're doing pretty much, if you think of any sort of like primitive task, it's not done in a very bilateral stance, right? So like for most of our evolution as a species, we were always alternating. We're always one arm forward, one arm back, one foot forward, one foot forward after the other. Um, or it was very triplanar too. So like if you, I think like that's making it a little bit reductionist, but I think it makes sense because only up until a hundred years ago, did we sit this much? Did we um, not have such an active lifestyle? So I think the bilateral thing, it stiffens us up and as mobile creatures, as creatures that alternate and that's what we were designed to do that's it i don't think it's a, i don't think it's a coincidence that when you give someone an alternating row it can help clear up their back pain or shoulder pain as opposed to a barbell bent over row you know i think there's a reason for that and i think that's worth exploring and that's why i try to throw in alternation whenever i can but also um in terms of the jaw and vision stuff i think that's just such a cool and fascinating area 
that I'm myself am trying to study more. So if you have, let's say you have one of these athletes and they do respond well to it, because obviously there are ones that just won't. So let's say you have athlete A who responds well to it. What do you generally see in terms of like range of motion, in terms of potentially strength, in terms of like movement efficiency? What are the commonalities that you see when people do respond positively to it? Yeah, for sure. That's a good question. Um, so mostly we see impact uh, impacts and feelings of power or expression of power, like fresher, mm. lighter, uh, more powerful. And you can, you can see from a coaching standpoint, what you can see is, is an increase in range of motion. And so like we talked at the very beginning, I mentioned like a, a squatting motion. So I had a, a, a division one offered football player. He's a junior, he's a quarterback. He just plays football and, and rugby, really good rugby player. Dad was in the weight room, kind of an old school coach, but a really nice guy. And I uh, said, what are you guys, what are you, how's OC doing? You know, what's, what's going on with OC? He's like, I really just wish he'd squat lower. And I said, well, let's, let's try some things. All we did was find his dominant eye and pick a job position. We tried all of them. And eventually from, I kid you not, what would be probably considered a, an inch above parallel to two inches below parallel impacted boom like that. And I just looked at his dad and I said, why wouldn't you use that? Mm -hmm. And is it possible to think that, you know, our brain <laughs> alone can affect us in that significant a way? Like he didn't have to, I told him, I said, you know, he doesn't need to stretch every day. Like the muscle length is not changing. It's not, it's taking so much time. Uh, why wouldn't you do that? And he just looked at me like, holy cow. And I just walked out. And so like, like you said, in terms of evolutionary type adaptations that our bodies go through also like things like thoracic spine like me bent over looking at my computer screen right now or my cell phone uh we have to we have to we have to train out of those compensations that we're making um and if the brain can affect our bodies and our posture in order to shift to an evolutionary thing it's it's understandable how our brain could also shift us back and could also in training the monotony and similarity of training for too long a certain type of way i think as you start to see what the brain does when it turns off and on through bilateral movement i think about repetition in terms of anything longer than about three weeks of the same stimulus uh, without, you know, something different. I, I, I believe that our brain actually kind of calms or shuts down a bit and doesn't give us uh, the same effect. So I'm constantly trying to change the stimulus, even if it's just slightly, I think it's, it's easy to be a coach that just wants to do something different to do something different. Muscle confusion. But, yeah. So <laughs> just constantly, just, just sporadic. But I think if you can slightly adapt or go back and forth between three or four things and every three weeks or so kind of rotate them through, uh, or maybe on your, if you're a traditional four week program, three, and then a deload or whatever you do, if you could add that additional stimulus in your deload week, you might wake the brain back up. Um, but I think there's just ways to use tricks and I don't like using the word tricks, but there's ways to use the brain in order to mm -hmm. impact what we do um, and kind of shape who we are in a, in a positive way. And, and we just got to, we got to consider that when we're creating programs, you know, um, it, it's, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the most impactful thing in our body and we've got to use it to our advantage.
Definitely. When you say the brain shuts down, do you mean like, can you clarify what you mean by that? Sure. So if, if I were to have you do a bilateral squat mm -hmm. and then bring you up and, and put you into a muscle test of any kind, you would be considered what RPR would consider like a lights off. So on a muscle test, I give you 10 pounds of pressure on your arm. You're going to, you're going to shut down. I put you in a bilateral or excuse me, a unilateral marching cross crawl action or an archer pose, something that the brain likes. And I simply retest. It doesn't take, but you know, five marches, three marches, whatever you want, two squats. It doesn't take a lot. We think it takes a lot, but it doesn't. And I'm going to come back and muscle test you the same way with the same pressure on the same point. I'm not trying to overpower you. I'm not trying to trick you. I just want to see you'll be back on. So I think about the activity of the nervous system being heightened and fired and it, and it likes it. It wants to be turned on. It wants to be mm -hmm. activated to things that it likes. And so from a training stimulus standpoint, if we're talking about a weight room or an activity, uh, you mentioned planar movements. I, I see an athlete at our school who's a freak of nature, who is enormously talented in the sagittal plane. But anything transverse, a little bit of frontal, but anything transverse, he struggles, man. Like he, he's, he's a borderline division one athlete at defensive end and outside linebacker. But if he can't start addressing some of the things he's not good at in terms of training, like things he doesn't do a lot is going to be limited, you know. And so I think about the brain liking try planar movements. So I try to stack those on top of each other as well. So if I have four kids in a group, we go sagittal plane, frontal plane, transverse plane, spotter. We do something to train. I think of everything being connected in terms of both from a fascia standpoint and everything just working together. Mm -hmm. um, and so I try to piece that all together through training. And again, just, just managing uh, that selection of exercise and programming to constantly uh, adapt in some small way about every three weeks in order to keep the brain activated and engaged into what we're doing to keep it interested to keep it to keep it fully functioning in a kind of a, a visual of light on versus light off or light dim versus light on. Got it. Got it. And that's so true. It, it really is all connected. Like uh, we, we were talking about the tongue earlier, and this is a great example of why all these things are connected. When you put your tongue on the roof of your mouth, that activates the deep front line in terms of like a myofascial chain. It runs all the way down to your feet. So when you place your tongue on the roof of your mouth, you're, positioning the top of that chain in an optimal way. So the prime movers in that chain can act as prime movers and the stabilizers can work as the stabilizers. But if you don't have your tongue on the roof of your mouth, when you're performing a lift, then you're throwing off that chain and the stabilizers might have to work as prime movers and vice versa. There's no stability through the chain. So that's why I always cue tongue up. And there's studies that have shown your force output is better. It's there's only two of them, but anecdotally along with the evidence, it's like, yeah, this is something that probably works. So, and that's so easy. It goes back to that. Like these things are complicated, but at the end of the day, they're all designed to make our lives easier. And I think that they're fascinating and we can, we can go down the rabbit hole, but ultimately if they're not getting our programs better, 
then, then what are we doing with our time? You know? So, um, the brain stuff truly is amazing. And, um, the jaw and really like all these things are intimately connected on a level that we can't fully understand because there's all these different systems and they're all talking about different things. That just shows you how overall complex we are. Yeah, absolutely. It's quick story here in terms of connection of things, right? Like mm -hmm. through RPR, maybe from the higher levels and, and, and anatomy trains and different things like that, you start to realize that NTMR, golly, you start to realize, <laughs> you start to realize that, yeah, your left ankle may hurt, but the, the, the causation of that left ankle pain is not at the site. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can't tell you how many kids I assess where there's there's dysfunction elsewhere that's causing I think about proximal dysfunction yeah <laughs> causes distal issues and so you can true. apply that no matter where you're at yeah and, it's so true yeah and so the 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 again the better I can get at identifying where the dysfunction is I'm keeping athletes more healthy in terms of and it being able to enable a strong performance by being able to find those connections. And so it's, it's really impactful. And I would encourage people just to keep diving into systems where they can and benefit the population that they serve um, more than just thinking that the training we provide is keeping them injury free. You know, I've, I've always thought that going back to North Texas, we're here to protect athletes first. And a quality strength program is going to be fundamental in protecting and keeping our athletes injury free. Number one goal. And it should be, but that alone is not going to do it. Like we can't fix the dysfunction in someone's right glute by doing more jumping or squatting or mm -hmm. lunging mm -hmm. or, you know, and so it, I would challenge people just to, to be open-minded and be willing to go out and find things that can just totally uh, put up, put the whole picture together, right? We have people that are really good at some things and good at other things and good at other things. And, and my goal has always been to, to, to finish that circle, complete it all and, and be able to, to take someone in under my wing as an athlete or as a coach or as their teacher and be able to impact them through a full kind of 360 degree uh, protection, training, performance, all in one. And I think, I think it's important to keep looking for ways to impact those those changes. Absolutely. Yeah. You got to keep, you got to keep learning. That's the beautiful thing about our field. Honestly, the thing I like about strength and conditioning the most is that if you're not keeping up with what's going on, it's so easy to fall behind and it's so easy to feel overwhelmed. But if you just start somewhere and you just stay hungry, cause you know, there's so much passion in this field and that's another beautiful thing about it is there's people like you who just love what they do are always learning. So if people are in this field and they don't love what they do, well, that's a problem in and of itself because you're never going to be able to keep up with people that are on the front lines doing the work in the trenches such as yourself. And I think that ultimately we need to keep learning because if we're not, then maybe there's another coach somewhere else down the road at a different school who's doing something and that could have a profound impact on how your athletes perform relative to theirs. Uh, so yeah, this, this stuff really is just amazingly connected. A story I thought of when, when uh, you were telling yours was there was a, you know, the humeral glenoid internal rotation test. Basically, you just lie on your back, 
and your supine on a table and someone tests your shoulder range of motion. They place their hand on your shoulder and then they just passively see how much you can bring your forearm down to a table while your humerus is at 90 degrees. Now, this guy did not touch the individual on the table, didn't even touch him, but he played frequencies. He played high, like very high pitch frequencies. They were very fast and rapid. And this guy's range of motion was completely locked up but then he lowered the frequencies. It was clear, like even just watching this happen, it was clear that the frequencies from the high vibrations were very like sympathetic, very fight or flight. But once they brought down the frequencies into low parasympathetic, like uh, wavelengths, like vibrational frequencies, this guy's arm, forearm dropped all the way to the table without a single restriction. And this man, he didn't even touch him. It was just going after the nervous system. And I think um, along with the brain, you got to think about the nervous system because the nervous system is driving so much of what we're doing with stability, so much of how we're seeking stability through our musculoskeletal system and so many other things. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting on the, on the frequency side with TMR, there's a, there's a vibratory kind of action in the movement, mm -hmm. uh, but there are definitely specific frequencies, and I've heard this through several people. There are specific frequencies that our body particularly likes, and yeah. so I know with like RPR, they're 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 developing a tool similar to a you know a Theragun that's going to vibrate at the frequency that we like and be able to put into those activation points. And so, yeah, it's it's fascinating, man. There's just there's so much stuff, and and if we could if we could identify a theragon that vibrated at a frequency that we knew a certain percentage of our population used, why why wouldn't you use that? Exactly, yeah. something you'd add. So the frequencies thing is is really amazing because I was reading this book on craniosacral therapy. I don't know why. Don't ask me why. I just was, <laughs> and they were talking about how in um, like Buddhist meditation. And this might be a little tangent, but in Buddhist meditation, when you reach a certain level of, of practice proficiency, when you like, I don't, I don't fully understand how it works, but once you get to a certain level, you start to sense things in your meditation practice where you only observe frequencies and everything is a frequency. When you touch my chair right here, it's, I'm sensing frequencies, but I'm interpreting those frequencies uh, these vibrations as me touching this chair. My voice coming out to you is a vibration. It's a frequency that's going through your nervous system. So I think if you look at it in a certain lens, it's almost like what frequencies and vibrations are we exposing ourselves to? What are the vibrations that our body is responding to and adapting to? And then potentially, is it sticking us in a certain vibrational pattern? Is it putting, biasing our nervous system into one of these um, more like sympathetic, parasympathetic state, for example? And I think that uh, that's just another way of looking at it, man. There's so many different ways, but it's, it's truly fascinating. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, with AirPods and with just different, different frequencies that we might interpret over the day and not have a clue what that does to us what yeah. i will say in my belief i think we subliminally subliminally choose things that we like mm -hmm. i think most of us without knowing from a frequency standpoint might identify things that we like and so 
but like you said, there, there's, I don't know a way right now to test that, but I, I think the brain in order to function well, the body in order to function well, the connection is going to identify things without even realizing it. Like, why do you like a certain type of music? And I like another type, like there are things mm-hmm. like that. Like I know with color, they talk a lot about color and the body's, uh, you know, ability to interact and feel strong and powerful, uh, both through the brain and interpretation from the eyes, like colors have an impact on us. And so I think they talk about how I wear, like, I know what I wear. I wear whites, grays, and blacks, man. I don't like red. (laughs) I really don't like red. Um, I like blue a little bit. Like there's certain things I like and I don't like. And I think you can just say, well, the power of choice. Well, that's great. But you, you just kind of notice some of the trends that you do as an individual with that choice. And then one day just mix it up. Like, uh, you know, I, where I should wear a, a red shirt or do something slightly different or walk, walk to, to, to my brush my teeth with the other hand or just different things like mix up, notice a routine if you can find one and then mix it up and, and note how you feel, go out for a run, go out to do your normal weight room session that you do and see if there's a difference. And I think we're creatures of habit and we identify things we like, and then we do those things. And so I think there's tons and tons of, of rabbit holes and information out there that that's still to be found. And, and when, when you find something that can impact my kids and it's easy, cheap, and and uh and just uh instant let me know because i, I want to know so absolutely and uh yeah to your point about color there's a reason why mcdonald's has the colors that they have it's because those colors have been shown to make you more hungry there's a reason why human beings see more green more shades of green than any other color because that had an evolutionary advantage back in the day to see how well a certain landscape was flourishing or not um, but I did want to read one passage from a book I'm reading right now that directly correlates to what we're talking about. So it talks about negative feedback loops within the body. And oh, by the way, this book is playing with movement, um, how to explore the many dimensions of physical health and performance. Good book, would recommend it. Um, And it talks about negative feedback loops in the body are, they're not just like what we think of negative, like that's a bad thing. It's literally just a disturbance to your homeostasis. So if you're an individual that is not exercising, they live a sedentary life, then your negative feedback loop occurs when you start exercising. And that could be through pain and all that stuff. And just like us today with this coronavirus thing, us staying at home, being thrown out of our routine, our loop of behaviors of going to work and having a routine throughout our day habits, that's a negative feedback loop, which has consequences on our HPA axis, consequences on our immune system, consequences on how we can actually interpret our our behavior and, and our environment around us. So I'm just gonna read this really quick. And just to give you guys a visualization, imagine you have a ball on top of a hill and there's a valley below it that I can roll into. And then it obviously can come out on the other side of the valley. So I will start. Um, So flat areas correspond to unstable behavior. This may be due to the system moving into a transitional phase, such as the teenage years for a human or a new government after a political revolution or a recent injury. A novice athlete is on a flat area of the movement landscape and won't find much stability in his performance while exploring new techniques. With practice, certain points in the landscape 
will deepen into wells representing formation of new habits. Hills on the landscape represent a critical state. The ball is precariously bounced between two opposite outcomes. If the ball moves left, left the system retor- returns to normal, meaning it stays on that surface. But if it moves right, a, no- a new normal is established, which is called phase shift. And then it just goes into a bunch of different things, but it essentially says if you create an unstable environment, that is a negative that is a negative feedback loop. Therefore, it is going to create what we perceive as actual negative consequences at first. So when we change our behavior, change an environment or change a habit, we're, we're very thrown off by it. We're like, what is going on? I don't like this. But if you can actually get past that and you can roll your ball down the hill up to the other side, then you actually have a critical state and then you can enter a more stable state of adapting to that behavior. So I think, (laughs) this is getting really deep. I think that ourselves as a whole within this coronavirus situation, we are in this very unstable state. We are at the top of the hill and we are being rolled down into the valley. And this is something that's causing stress in our lives because we're involuntarily having to change our habits. And it's very um, threatening to our system as a whole. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think about from that conceptual humongous picture. Yes, that was a lot. If if there's something that we do that we don't like, so let's just use vision because we've talked about it. Mm -hmm. If I'm off when I look to my left and I play right tackle, we got problems. If Mm -hmm. I don't, don't have that activity or that light switch on when I move my eye to the left and I'm looking over my shoulder as a a receiver trying to catch a ball. What's the likelihood of that catch? I talked to our volleyball setter. Once we don't, once we figured out her dominant eye and she was terrible on the other side, I said, I bet you, if you go back and watch your huddle and look at all the sets you made, you turn. So that dominant eye was back to the back row. So Mm -hmm. you could see and perceive better. And I bet when you didn't have the choice because time was an issue or it was a bad pass, I bet when you turned back and the non-dominant eye was to the playing court, you passed with more error or less accuracy. And I said, just go back and look at it. She was just blown away. And, and so with those, with those initial discomforts like you described in that model or our lack of uh, comfort in certain places initially, I think about do I need that for performance or in sport? If I do, I better find a way to address it or we're in trouble. Like once you start realizing that these things exist and you just don't note them um, and you, you can begin to start to train out of them or train past them and that model's kind of example, I think you can make a big, big impact. I was, yeah, yeah, very well said. And, and while these ideas are very complex, you can break it down into just about anything that's going on within the body and just something like vision right there. And that's so important to consider that last part of what you just said. Um, Tyler, I got to run. Thank you for coming on this. I really appreciate this. This was such a good conversation and I'm going to have to have you back on sometime soon. So thanks for taking your time, man. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. And I look forward to a, to a future date and we'll keep hacking away at the stuff we're doing here and, and share, share our information. So thank you. All right, brother. Stay healthy. All right. You too.